The Lord be with you. Right before the Christmas break, I asked some of the youth, what theological topics might you want to work through and explore for theology and donuts in 2024? To my surprise, they didn't go for any of the classics like when can we expect the apocalypse or do miracles still happen? How many Bibles do you bring on a first date? Of course, the answer is three. You need a King James for its lyricism, NRSV for continuity, and then the modern paraphrase of your choice because it's not like you're some sort of weird religious psycho. This crew of brainy teenagers really went for it, though, because they came up with one of the A-plus classic problems. In this case, it's one of the original theological, philosophical, ethical questions for humanity. What is the deal with evil in the world? Where does it come from? Is God paying any attention? Is evil winning? Is evil going to win. Maybe the teenagers don't know this, but this question is a can of worms. I'm sure they have a pretty good idea of that, because this question spills out yet more slippery problems that are playing out in real time on planet Earth right now. Like the rest of us, the Theology and Donuts crew have their theological work cut out for them. As it just so happens, we're in luck today, though, because today's passage from Mark 1 does speak to that question, if only a little, offering us an epiphany glimmer, a little bit of light in the darkness. And the thing is, if you don't slow down to appreciate this story, you really could miss it. With the hastiest of pen strokes and an almost frantic pace, Mark's gospel is compact and concentrated and abrupt. Sometimes only a few short verses carry the weight of so much gospel. And so, in the gift of this space and time, in this sanctuary, we get to take some time to slow the story down and let it sink in. Following last week's account, where the first batch of Jesus' disciples were gathered, he carries them along in tow, and he doesn't waste any time. These men had just left behind their livelihoods to follow him. Maybe they were wondering if this had been a rash and foolish mistake. Was this extraordinary rabbi the real deal? Were they about to waste their lives with a crazy person? Well, they were about to witness the first answer to their questions. It was the Sabbath day. A day of rest and worship, and Jesus went to Capernaum, it's a local fishing village, and there he entered a place of worship. The first century synagogue was a serious place, a place where people spent hours making sense of scripture, reading and praying and sharing insights. It was the hub of their community, where social standings and reputations mingled with family and friends and local personalities people you'd grown up with your whole lives. It was this little local place that Jesus chose as he crossed over from private 
to public life. Mark's gospel demonstrates the identity of Jesus, not necessarily by saying who he was, but by showing us what he did. This is what Christ loosed upon the world looks like. To get things rolling, Jesus started by teaching the people. And these were people who were well acquainted with authoritative readings and experts. There was a whole religious culture built around the analysis and interpretation of Hebrew scripture. But as Jesus taught, they were astounded. Not just because of his brilliance or eloquence as a communicator, Jesus spoke with authority. He wasn't quoting or comparing the experts. Jesus was the expert. And those local folks were absolutely amazed. Now, if it was a different Sunday, we'd probably be in the Gospel of John this time of year. And we'd be reading one of the most famous miracles from John's Gospel. It's one of the big ones. And it's Jesus' first miracle according to John's Gospel. And it's a fun and it's a beautiful story. Christ at the wedding banquet, reluctant and still living in secret, entering the story only because of his mom's persistence. It's a catering crisis averted when water gets turned into wine. And in John's gospel, this is a sign that Jesus was Lord of the bounty of the whole earth. He's the master of atoms and molecules, of existence and substance and flavor, nourishment and celebration. In John's gospel, we see Jesus with new creation power in his hands. The one who saved that wedding day is fixing to save the day for all of us. Whereas John's gospel begins with water transformed into wine, Mark begins with a very first miracle that removes the very first fly from the ointment. This opening miracle is a demonic story. It's one that makes modern readers like us a little uncomfortable. In Mark's telling, we skip past all the heartfelt moments you might find in the other gospels, and Jesus steps right out into public life His first teaching provokes a confrontation. These astonishing lessons in the synagogue are interrupted by a man with an unclean spirit. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. One tortured soul, a man in the grip of such oppression. And this voice, this terrible, ugly, knowing voice shouting out of him in terror. And the unclean spirit knows a thing or two about Bible stories, too. The use of that key phrase, Holy One of God, it's a nod to the story of Elisha, the mighty prophet of old. Is this an intimidation tactic? Applying a handle to Jesus, we know you. Maybe a way to rattle the young rabbi, gain a little advantage. I know you. I see you, Jesus. It's a desperate, useless ploy. 
the Holy One of God, Jesus of Nazareth, unfazed. Jesus talked to the unclean spirit like it's a a pest or a dog in the street. Shut your mouth. Put a muzzle on it. Come out of him. This wasn't a struggle. Jesus didn't break a sweat. He didn't perform any rituals or incantations. This was an eviction. The humiliation of a defeated enemy. The onlookers were witnessing a street fight, and it wasn't even a fair match. With protest, this unclean spirit threw the man to the ground. One last convulsive kick in defiance, a final gasp of defeat, a tortured soul set free. Now the people were really beside themselves. What is this new thing? Who is this astonishing teacher with such authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And Mark tells us that Jesus' fame began to spread throughout Galilee. Only a few verses back, Jesus had declared that the kingdom of God had come. This kingdom nearness, made known in his teaching and embodied in his presence, in all of the Gospels, it would put Jesus on the path where he would encounter more dark forces. But this day, this first day in the synagogue was the opening sign, the clear message. It was the first thread to be pulled in a long, long unraveling. Mark's gospel demonstrates the identity of Jesus by showing us what he does. The one who set free the tortured man with authority, calling out unclean spirits. This is the sign that breaks through with that little epiphany ray of light. That first miracle in the synagogue in Capernaum is good news for people like us, even in a strange little story like that. People like us who need to be assured that the one who casts out unclean spirits is at work in our midst, making us free too. That's not all. As we follow this extraordinary Jesus, people like us have inherited this same work. Because followers of Jesus confront the forces of darkness. One of my favorite quotes from Thomas Merton says, You are not big enough to accuse this whole age effectively. But let us say you are in dissent. We small dissenters following the path of Jesus carry on this work together. This is the work for a whole people. What can a little church loosed upon the world look like? How do we make any difference in a world so full of so many forms of evil? Well, I'd say it starts with humble gatherings, readings and teaching and worshiping together, making space for conversations where we bring our questions and our worries, and we sing and we pray We get some things right, we get some other things wrong. 
We work through it with our eyes wide open. And if we pay attention, if we keep our doors open, we will find that the friends and strangers in our midst are folks who show up and share who they are, what they've been through, awkward, beautiful expressions of vulnerable humanity. And sometimes it'll be difficult, inconvenient, embarrassing, awkward, annoying. But what a gift. (laughs) These companions who lay bare their injured souls and their grief and their poverty, heartbroken, wounded, angry, frustrated, hurt, haunted, hopeful, grateful, joyful, loving, beautiful children of God. Together with these companions, we resist evil in all its forms. Even when we don't have the best answers, and even when we're not sure if we're asking the right questions. We hold fast to the kingdom in its nearness, made known in our lives and shaped by our work in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks be to God.